Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Ah, yes, indeed. Welcome in to the latest edition of the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. I am the somewhat competent host, TJ Reeves, and my goodness, my goodness, even though it's June and things are supposed to be a little slower because we're out of, like, football season, uh, we're kind of slowing down with some uh, end of the NBA, the end of the hockey, the baseball. We've got, you know, big events recently in in May, uh, the Kentucky Derby, the Indianapolis 500. You've got major championship tennis. You've got major championship golf. But still, the football is what rules, and, and that's not coming around for another two or three months. So things are supposed to be a little slower. But as we come your way on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast, what a day. What a day in the world of golf. Uh, it is really uh, it changed uh, dramatically on a dime in just a single day. And we're going to get into that a bunch uh, here and what happened and the coverage of it and what it means moving forward for the PGA Tour, the well-established PGA Tour and the Live Golf Tour and major championships and the biggest events. And we're going to go over all of that here as the podcast unfolds. Again, thank you for hanging out here and finding us on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed. However, you found us through a social media link through the lastwordonsports.com website, lastwordonsports.com slash podcast, uh, et cetera. Thank you for doing so. Make sure you follow or subscribe. Great content on this feed right now, right before this uh, podcast. The, the one immediately preceding is George Offman with his fantastic storytelling podcast series. Tell me a story. I don't know. Uh, John Boog Shambi is the guest for this week. You know, Boog for his work on ESPN's baseball coverage, as well as their college basketball coverage. Boog also now with the Chicago Cubs the last couple of years and the marquee sports network. Hear the story of his rise, his connections to Chicago, doing the Cubs games and much more. On George's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know with Boog Shiambi immediately preceding this podcast on the feed. Also on this feed, Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mollen come your way with the Announcer Schedules podcast uh, each and every week. They do a fantastic job of uh, talking to you about uh, who's calling the games nationally, TV, radio, the biggest events. Phil does a phenomenal job with his Twitter handle, uh, Twitter handle Announcer Skids, and keeping up with that. You got their podcast on this feed, but you don't even have to wait for their podcast which is out later in a week, uh, to hear from Phil DeMont Mullen. I'm going to get Phil on the show here because I'm curious about a couple of things. One, he went on a European vacation that I want to hear a little bit about. And I don't want to steal too much of the thunder from his show, but I also uh, want to hear uh, from Phil about South Florida. He's a South Florida guy. I do this show from West Central Florida, Tampa Bay, and I realize you're all over the country. You're in the Northeast, you're in the Midwest, wherever you're hearing us in the West, uh, et cetera. Uh, practically worldwide, wherever you're hearing us. 
I'm based in West Central Florida. Phil is now actually in North Carolina, as he talks about all the time, working for Brevard College in North Carolina, in addition to doing his great work with announcer schedules, the podcast, the Twitter feed. But Phil originated out of South Florida. And man, what a heyday with the Miami Heat and the Florida Panthers both involved in the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals this week with games in Miami at the same time. We'll go over all of that with Phil, as well as uh, the big-time announcers like Mike Breen uh, calling the NBA Finals now for a record. Uh, Phil's going to go over that record and how many games that he's done. So we'll get into all of that with Phil and get his thoughts on that. Then later on in the podcast, Tyler Jones will join me with some perspective on what I'm about to talk about, the whole Live Golf PGA Tour bombshell news on a Tuesday. A Tuesday known as the 79th anniversary, June 6, 1944, 79 years ago, D-Day Normandy invasion, where the United States and the Allied forces uh, attacked the Normandy beach, the stronghold of the Germans, uh, who were trying to conquer all of Europe and were succeeding for a great part of conquering Europe, at least uh, Western Europe. Uh, and the United States losing uh, thousands and thousands, some 9,000-plus soldiers. The Allied forces lost some 12,000-plus soldiers that day and the following day, storming uh, the beach at Normandy, France, to try to change the tide of the war, and eventually did. And it really signaled, uh, over the course of the next few weeks and few months, the end of the war, because the United States' insurgents into France to liberate France Turn the tide of the war, that with Britain and the Allied forces, that was 79 years ago, June 6, 1944. So look, that's that's a monumental day in the history of the world. There's no quite not just the history of the United States and all those lives lost and the and the greatest generation, the baby boomers, the World War II generation, uh, et cetera, that comes out of that. But now June the 6th, 2023 is a line of demarcation in the history of golf. There is no doubt about that. And Tyler Jones is going to talk to me about the significance of this. And Tyler's got some other great takes as well. I love his versatility. He's part of the Let's Go Racing podcast with David Starr, talking NASCAR, the NASCAR Cup Series and Infinity uh, Series every week. Uh, he also does very well with the NFL coverage, with Chat Sports, working specifically on channels involving the Seattle Seahawks, the Baltimore Ravens, the New England Patriots. Tyler is so well-versed in everything. Hoops. We'll talk a little NBA Finals with him, but I want to talk a lot of golf. Uh, as well with Tyler Jones and this situation in a little bit. So a couple of guests that are coming up uh, again, thank you for finding me here. We've got, we've got a very interesting time uh, right now with all that's happening with the NBA finals with it. One, one with Denver and Miami Vegas, the Las Vegas golden Knights leading the Florida Panthers, two games to none are the upstart Panthers about to be uh, eliminated now. And Las Vegas gets another championship. They did get the WNBA title for the aces. That does count as a, major sport world championship. You could argue that the WNBA is not a major sport. You could, you could argue that the WNBA though has better audience uh, in some, in some circles than what the NHL has when you're calling the NHL more established, but not as much audience maybe. Uh, but in any event, Vegas going for the Stanley cup win. They, they lost their Stanley cup appearance back in their inaugural season six years ago to Washington, but right now lead two games to none headed to South Florida. What will happen now that the games later this week will be in Miami not Miami proper, which we'll go over with Phil DeMond Mullen in a sec, but uh, in a few secs, actually. Uh, but uh, Miami proper is where the Heat play in the downtown arena. The Panthers play just outside of downtown Miami. So more on the geography and the significance of having the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals in the same area, city, et cetera, not in the same arena, 
It's been done before. We'll go over all of that in a little bit. Uh, anyway, uh, let, let me give you some thoughts. And again, I have a golf background. I love the sport. I love to play the sport. I've covered the sport. I've been part of PGA Tour Radio and uh, PGATour.com. I've still got a lot of friends and acquaintances that work in the golf media, not only on the broadcast side, but the online print side uh, as well. And man, everybody was going crazy on Tuesday, and rightfully so, with an announcement that caught everybody off guard, including the PGA Tour players, the biggest of names. They didn't know about this. Uh, the Live Golfers did not know about this. Greg Norman, the CEO of the Breakaway Rogue Live Golf Tour, he did not know until minutes before all of this was being announced. When uh, an interview took place right around 10 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday as we released this podcast late Tuesday uh, overnight and into Wednesday, that CNBC had scored the interview. And look, it's inside baseball because it's a, it's a business story for them. But NBC, the Golf Channel, they're humongous partners with the PGA Tour. So, of course, if you're going to be good to somebody on giving them the exclusive and the breaking news, it's going to be an NBC partner. And it, and it went on CNBC, and then the Golf Channel rocked on nonstop for hours and hours and hours without commercials on Tuesday. Uh, they understood the gravity of this announcement, of this merger. But again, out of the blue, after after just over a year, and I'm going to make a lot of different comments. And again, I've got friends that still work in PGA Tour Radio, cover the game. I, I worked for PGA Tour Radio and Sirius XM and for the PGA Tour uh, website, PGATour.com. And I, I have no hard feelings in and around the people that I worked with and worked for, but I, I have my opinions here about this, and I've been talking about this, and it does intertwine with sports media and the coverage. So let's let's get a few things out in the open now that this has happened. So this feud that was supposed to go on, like indefinitely, at least for years, it, it culminates with the PGA Tour caving, and that's exactly what happened on Tuesday. The PGA Tour caved and decided we, we can't fight a war uh, with the Saudi-backed Live Golf Tour and this PIF fund that has hundreds of billions of dollars at its disposal economically, we can't fight a war, a prolonged war, and beat them. They will beat us ultimately financially. Uh, I, you know, I don't have to have that on any authority from any source. It's obvious what happened here. The PGA Tour, which was steadfastly uh, talking about blood money from Saudi Arabia and, and how heinous that what these players were doing was for the growth of the game, for the history and the integrity of the PGA Tour was. The PGA Tour is the one that made this deal because they realize and believe it's going to be a protracted legal fight costing them a ton of money, and they were going to eventually begin to bleed enough money where it was going to start costing them PGA Tour events. How do I know this? I'm in a market with a PGA Tour event the Valspar Championship that's played uh, every March. I know this about other PGA Tour events from media colleagues in Memphis or, or Jay Betzel, who we had on recently in Dallas-Fort Worth. They are scrambling to figure out which one of these events are going to go, which ones are going to survive. And there's only so much money to go around if they're bleeding money from players leaving and, and now having to increase the cost of their purses to the players that stayed some of those events were going to go bye-bye, and the tour knew this. The tour also knew that as things progressed on, there would likely be other players off the PGA Tour that would elect to jump to the Live Golf Tour because the money is still ridiculous. And there were players that were already doing it this calendar year. 
So, okay, so there's there's a couple of things. Number one, it's important, again, to stress, the PGA Tour caved, and that's why this got done. And this happened very quickly without their own players, their own policy board, because, again, it's different than the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League. The PGA Tour players are independent contractors. They don't work for the PGA Tour and draw a salary. They get checks off of the tournaments and off of what they win or what they earn on the course. Now, up until now, and the PGA Tour has greatly had to modify this because the Live Golf guys wanted this, the Phil Mickelsons, the Dustin Johnsons, the Pat uh, Perez's, uh, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, just go right on down the list. Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, they wanted concessions to be made from the PGA Tour of guarantee us more money. Proportionally, we need to make more because you're making more, and we don't need to have cuts anymore. This is not the 1960s, 70s, and 80s business model for the PGA Tour. We need to, It needs to be different, and, and the PGA Tour would not go along with this then back a year and a half ago. So the Live Golf Tour starts up and plays its first eight-event season last year, and everything gets ratcheted up with the rhetoric. But the PGA Tour ends up adopting a lot of what the Live Golf Tour wanted done in terms of guaranteed money, increased purses, no no cuts. Everybody gets paid to be there. They implemented these things on the Live Golf Tour, and the PGA Tour began to do them. But the rank and file of the PGA Tour didn't even know this was coming after the line in the sand was drawn and calling all the Live guys uh, out for, for going for the blood money and trying to destroy the PGA Tour. Here, just over a year later, is Jay Monahan, the commissioner, unilaterally, basically, without the authorization of his players, of his players' relations council, deciding we're, we're going to end the fight, we're going to end the litigation, we're going to call a truce, and we're going to we're going to call a truce because of finances, because of money, because ultimately, we're going to be. And Jay Monahan's a hypocrite. He deserves that name and that moniker for sitting and saying that it's blood money and it's going to destroy the game and it destroy the integrity of the game and, and rock the PGA Tour and then turn right around and do a deal financially with the same exact people? As Scott Stallings, one of the members of the PGA Tour, said in one of the interviews that I heard on ESPN, how many sides of his mouth can this guy talk out of? How many different sides of the issue do you want to be on? Pick a lane, as I like to say in the present day. So it is hypocritical. You know who you should feel horrible for as Jay Monahan was sitting there with the head of the PIF fund, Yasser Al-Ramanian. He was sitting there on CNBC smiling and agreeing to this new deal. And by the way, while we're on the subject, and this is important bombshell stuff, this is one of the biggest sports stories of the year and how it was covered and how it's handled moving forward is a huge sports media story. There's no disputing that. But to have him sit there and smile and grin Almost, uh, you know, like, uh, hey, I've won. Jay Monahan sitting there with the Saudis who are now going to infuse hundreds of millions and billions of dollars into whatever this new entity is. And as we sit here on Tuesday night, it's not even been adequately explained to the PGA Tour players who are playing their event, the Canadian Open in Canada this weekend. It's not been adequately explained to them what this new thing is. I heard Jeff Ogilvy, former major champion, Australian golfer, come out of that meeting with Monaghan, the players meeting on Tuesday afternoon and say, hey, they were short on details. They didn't come clean with what this is all about. And his perception, and there's a lot of people's perception as Tuesday morning turned to Tuesday afternoon into Tuesday night, 
that this was about to leak out. This was going to be reported. And so they decided to get in front of it and announce something, whatever this something is. But there are no definitive details right now. I'm going to talk more with Tyler Jones about this. And you're going to hear the back and forth comments, give and take with he and I, about what this is going to be or not. But to have Jay Monahan sitting there with the head of the PIF fund, uh, after these 9-11 families, 9-11 United is the organization, with, with they lost family members on the horrific terrorist attacks on the day of 9-11-2001. And here we are now coming up on the 22nd anniversary of this. And obviously Saudi Arabia was financing the Al-Qaeda terrorists in a, in a lot of this. Um, and I totally understand it's it's uh, just heartbreaking for these families every year to go through all of this and relive this. Uh, and, and they were used. Let's say this. They were used talking about media. The PGA Tour hired a media firm, a PR firm on how do we hit the live golf guys? How do we hit the PIF fund? Let's drag out the 9-11 families and have them protest at the event last year in New Jersey and try to get as much coverage as possible. And ESPN and the Golf Channel and CBS and everybody else that televises golf or on the internet talks about golf, Golf Digest, Golf.com, SportsIllustrated.com, whoever's writing about and talking about the game of golf, FoxSports.com, CBSSports.com, YahooSports.com. Get them to talk about the 9-11 families protesting. Over the Saudi Arabia involvement, and hear that phrase, blood money, got thrown around in air quotes for the last year and a half. These people, in the words of Terry Strata, their their, uh, chairman, their head of the 9-11 Families United, they feel betrayed. They feel used. They were used in this. For Jay Monahan to turn around and do a deal with the very people that they're calling names and calling out on and using 9-11 as a pawn in this. But with the media. So the players are blindsided. The players had their meeting with Monahan. He came and spoke to him in person. Give him some credit for that. It wasn't just on a Zoom. And it was heated apparently in the media in the meeting with the players. They want answers. Monahan was to then meet with the advisory council that includes Rory McElroy. Now, as we release this po- podcast, McElroy has not yet talked to the media in Toronto. He's scheduled to do that on Wednesday. What will he have to say? He's been one of the biggest critics of the whole live golf thing. And maybe he was cryptically understanding there could be something worked out when he kept saying earlier this year, McElroy, uh, if we're going to have some kind of a truce or agreement with Live Golf after they've gone off on their own, it's got to be without Greg Norman, the great white shock, the uh, the CEO of Live Golf. He, in Roy McElroy's uh, words, we've got to have an adult in the room, and it's not Greg. So in the personality conflict, it looks like in the, in the world of concessions, Greg Norman's going to be out now. That's part of... That's part of what the tour is going to get out of this. They don't want him involved. So uh, apparently the PIF fund and this Yasser Al-Ramanian, who is the uh, the head of it, who's now going to be the chairman of whatever this new entity is, he basically said Greg Norman wasn't involved in these discussions and only found out about it minutes before those conversations on CNBC were being had, the live Q&A. Wow. That's another bombshell. But back to McElroy, he meets with the media on Wednesday, and he and the policy board, made up of other PGA Tour players, there are five of them on that policy board, they were to be briefed on Wednesday night. And there there may be a player revolt on Jay Monahan here for doing this deal without consulting them. They're angry. For a lot of them, they didn't jump to the Live Tour. Numerous ones of them turned down lucrative deals to jump 
to the Live Golf Tour. Players like Matthew Fitzpatrick, like Victor Hovland, who just won last weekend. Fitzpatrick's the reigning U.S. Open champion. Um, Victor Hovland just won the Memorial Jack Nicklaus's Columbus, Ohio tournament this past weekend. Those guys were being offered reportedly in excess of seventy-five or a hundred million dollars to jump to live golf. Will Zalatoris, one of the young guns in that neighborhood. Ricky Fowler, who's won a bunch on the PGA Tour, including a Players' Championship, reportedly offered $75 million. These guys all stood firm and said, no, we're going to stand behind the integrity of the PGA Tour. We're going to buy into this whole narrative about don't go sell out for the blood money and all this. And now these, these players are betrayed. That's the word. Monaghan turns around and buckles on behalf of them, and does a deal with the very people they've been name-calling. While these guys didn't go get their money, but Dustin Johnson did, and Phil Mickelson did, and Bryson DeChambeau did, and so did Lee Westwood, and Ian Poulter, and Sergio Garcia, and on and on down the list. Louis Oosthuizen, Patrick Reed, all of these names went and, 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 the biggest names, went and grabbed the money. Major champions, over and over and over again, went and grabbed the money. And this thing played out Within about a year, and by the way, Greg Norman was talking about a merge tour uh, back this this past uh, winter on how it would work and what it would look like, and all oh, the scoffing. Oh, they're never going to have a merge tour. They're never going to be able to come together on this. Look at what's happened now. And, and by the way, a couple of more points here on this. Uh, don't we want the best golfers playing in the biggest events when the U.S. Open plays on NBC uh, coming up in a couple of weeks? Don't you want the best golfers there? For the USGA, don't you want the best golfers there when the Open Championship or the British Open, as we refer to it often, when that takes place later in July, you want the best players there. The same with the PGA Championship that was just uh, concluded in New York. Uh, the The same previously with the Masters. You want the best of the best to be there. So the, the live golfers now, what's going to happen? And this has not been adequately explained. Are they going to be allowed to fully come back and play on the PGA Tour? I, I will say this. This is world according to TJ. They are not going to get away the PGA Tour with a, a longer suspension of these guys. They're not going to lay down their litigation, which is supposedly what's happening, to come back in and be suspended from being able to play PGA Tour events that they want to play. If the live golfers want to come back and play, I can I can guarantee you that part of the concession, if Greg Norman's being ousted at the, as the CEO is a concession of the PGA Tour side of things, then these live guys are going to barely be punished. Watch. They're going to barely be punished to be able to come back and play, if punished at all, because that's part of them laying down their arms in the litigation is we get to come back and pick and choose where we're allowed to play on the PGA Tour and when. And remember, a big crux of this is they wanted to play fewer events, and the Live Golf was always going to have fewer events, like cap it out at 14 events right now, not 20, 22, 25 events like the PGA Tour wants. So where's the middle ground? I'll debate that more with Tyler Jones in a little bit. I mentioned the Golf Channel was wall-to-wall coverage, as you would expect. ESPN was talking about it. Heck, the Live Golf Tour got mentioned more today than it has in the last year and a half. And the Golf Channel was going commercial-free with the coverage. You had to love on social media all the players sounding off. You know, Colin Morikawa, major champion, says nothing like finding out the morning news on social media as they're blindsided. Or or you're finding out by watching TV on CNBC, on ESPN, on the Golf Channel. You're finding out what's going on. 
And one of the villains on the Golf Channel coverage right now is Brandel Chambly. And, and I could go on for another 10 minutes about him and the coverage. It's a sports media podcast. But Chambly has been an outspoken critic of all of this. And even after Brooks Kepka, a live golfer, a former multi-time major winner as part of the PGA Tour, now wins the PGA Championship as a live golfer. And Brandel Chambly, that Sunday night in the post-round coverage of the championship final round, made it seem like that it was somehow the the end of golf civilization that a live golfer had wanted. And even Brad Faxon, one of his colleagues and a, and a contemporary of his on the PGA Tour and a multi-time winner on the PGA Tour, finally had to look at him and say, Brandel, it's golf. We want the best golfers to be playing. Find a way to work it out. And maybe Faxon knew something uh, was uh, what was going on. Uh, again, it looks as though the players on neither tour really knew how serious any kind of brokered piece was going to be. Apparently, according to the meeting in Toronto, when uh, Jay Monahan addressed the players on Tuesday afternoon, he said this has been going on for about seven weeks, which means before the PGA Championship and right around the time of the Masters, by the way, they were trying to broker this and they kept it quiet. They kept it quiet for a while, but apparently it was about to get out. There's some big time uh, golf media members of Bob Herrick of Sports Illustrated. Doug Ferguson's been around forever from the Associated Press covering the game. Who was going to find out first about this and start writing about it, that they were having these talks before they announced it themselves. And so now they've hastily announced it and we don't even know what this looks like. And I don't know that Jay Monahan survives this. His, his players, his rank and file players may rise up against him in a no confidence vote. That could very well happen uh, here, especially if they feel betrayed and sold out by what he just did. When a lot of them stuck to it and stuck it out, and yes, their prize money increased, and yes, the PGA Tour is more established and more prestigious. But to not to not even a year into this fight, when they began playing uh, tournaments, Live Golf and the Live Golf Invitational Series, began playing this week, a year ago, in England. And now here we are a year later, and the PGA Tour is caved. Uh, but anyway, Chambly uh, called it the saddest day, uh, a little hyperbole, the saddest day in the history of golf that this took place. Another interesting thing was that Chambly was trying to act like that now it's a monopoly. Oh, now it's a monopoly if the Live Golf and the PIF Fund are in with the PGA Tour and what was the European Tour, what's now called the DP World Tour. Oh, so now because the PIF Fund is out in front and paying now it's a monopoly, but what the PGA Tour was doing before, where they were leaning on the major championships, where they were they were embedded in partnership with the DP World Tour and the majors, and and now trying to use those relationships and leverage to box out live golf everywhere. That was not a monopoly. That was not a monopoly from the PGA Tour. And by the way, one other point on all of this and how it's going to be covered, and, and, and Monahan should be grilled by the media is the department of justice is still investigating and that's separate than the lawsuits. So the lawsuit litigation may be over, but the department of justice is still investigating whether or not there's antitrust violations by what the PGA tour has been doing and what they've been doing around the live golf creation. They're not stopping their investigation. And Phil Mickelson gave you a window into this a couple of weeks ago when he talked to the media after the PGA championship and was basically uh, coming clean with without specifics that, hey, the Department of Justice interviewed me and by the things they were asking me, I know they're coming after the PGA Tour for, I'm paraphrasing here, for monopolistic practices. I can tell by the questions 
And I was giving them information and examples of what to investigate and what to prove. So that's not going away either. Uh, stay tuned. Last chapter's not written. And again, we'll talk more with Tyler Jones about this in a little bit on the last word on Sports Media Podcast. All right, I'm going to vary it up. That was a lot about the golf. I'm going to vary it up here. Let's talk about the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals, and much more from an announcer perspective and a lot more uh, with a uh, with a guest that you hear a familiar voice on this podcast feed, Phil DeMont, Mullen, Mike Gill. They're on the Announcer Schedules Podcast. I couldn't wait for later in the week. I got to check in with Phil on all these fronts, including South Florida being the hub of the NBA Finals or the Stanley Cup Finals. North American sports is paying humongous attention to Miami, greater Miami and South Florida for this weekend. So let's get into that conversation right now as we continue. Been looking forward to this because he's like an international traveler. He's not Austin Powers, the international man of mystery. He's Phil DeMont Mullen. He and Mike Gill with the Announcer Schedules podcast. You know all about Announcer Schedules if you're trying to keep up with who's calling the games, uh, especially national TV, national radio broadcasts of everything. This man is on it. Uh, and we love having Phil as part of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed with announcer schedule. And here he is uh, right here, even before the show. Uh, good to have you, first of all. Good to see you. You look rested. You look refreshed off the vacation. And we got the Stanley Cup finals and the NBA finals going on. I know you're recharged. Yeah, back from the vacation. It was interesting. I was overseas in Spain and in Portugal enjoying it with with some family and I'll tell you, it is hard to maintain the Twitter account when you're, you know, walking portions of the Camino in Spain and, and, and so forth. And so I prudently took a break and uh, good you know, for the, you. You know, hopefully everyone survived without those listings on a daily basis. But back at it at NBA Finals, Stanley Cup playoffs. Here we go. And something I have always lived by as a creed, absence does make the heart grow fonder. There's nothing like increasing your value by going away for a week because then everybody goes crazy. I was going crazy. I want to know who's calling that game. And Phil is on vacation and good for you. And am I to understand that your mother, that mama announcer schedules got to go on this vacation? And how cool was that? I don't want you to give all the secrets away before you and Mike do this officially later in the week, but that had to be cool. Yes. Yeah, it, it was wonderful. I mean, to be there with her. And like I said, we walked some of the Camino, which is like this historic spiritual path and all this. It was just a blast. And what a beautiful uh, place, you know, both countries, Portugal and Spain. Tough to be a sports fan of U.S. sports over there. However, I, did you, know, you have English speaking feeds as a as a tease for when you do this with Mike later in the week, or were you struggling to find an English speaking feed of the NBA, the NHL, and whatever else? I couldn't even find feeds at the the hotels I was at. So you know, and not to mention the time zones. I mean, these games were going off at two a.m. in the morning and that kind of thing. So I took a break from being a hardcore fan, even though my beloved Miami Heat are are making this run and so forth. And it would just be a fun gift every morning to you know to open up the 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 phone and connect to Wi-Fi and say, oh wow, they knocked off the Celtics again. Here we go. Oh, that's awesome. All right, uh, let's get into that. So the NBA Finals, and you you came back with Mike hitting the ground running because you had uh, your your first edition post-vacation of Announcer Schedules, the podcast. And then you had a special conversation with the Heat uh, broadcaster, Jason Jackson, who's made a very interesting transition. And again, we encourage everybody, go back a couple of listens on this podcast feed and hear uh, Phil and Mike with Jason Jackson, who used to be the studio host, the sideline television person, and has now transitioned into radio play-by-play. 
And I, I thought it was a fascinating conversation. If you're interested in how those things come about, how difficult it is, how am I doing on a tease, Phil? Go listen to Jason Jackson, who now calls the Heat games on the radio. Yeah, Jason Jackson's made this transition from be really being a TV personality to a radio play-by-play -play person. And it's it's a tough assignment to take on, you know, at this portion of his career and so forth. But he seems to really be enjoying it. Obviously, you know, making this incredible run this year with the Heat. But fascinating story as far as, you know, him getting his start down at a Miami television affiliate, WSVN, and then going to ESPN for a number of years, you know, front-facing roles there, and then back to Miami with this job with the Miami Heat. And, you know, we talked a lot about Heat culture, you know, emanating not just on the the court with guys like Eric Spolstra and in his bunch, but with the front office, with the broadcasting team and so forth. And there's been incredible longevity with a num number of the broadcasters there, not just Jason, but Eric Reed's been there since day one as the, you know, the TV voice and Jose if Pineda. No, you would know this. Is Eric the longest tenured play-by-play -play guy now that Al McCoy retired? It's got to be close. Al McCoy, the Phoenix Suns guy. It's got to be close because Eric's got like 35 years in, 34 or 35 years in. It's got to be close. Right yeah, now on the team, yeah. maybe Mike Gorman of the Celtics, as I think of it on the top of my head, but it's got to be close. For it's got to be close. It's got to be close. He started in 1988 and I was fortunate enough to go to game one in 1988 mm. i was a high school student tj and you know my my family we had season tickets uh the expansion year for the miami heat and i've been a you know unadulterated uh heat lifer ever <laughs> since you know i am all in i worked for him for a number of years as a statistician i even have a ring tj from the 2012 i love it i so love it i i love this organization um you know I, i'm not afraid to say so and what a thrill for everybody involved with the miami heat to be making this run as a number eight seed it's been unreal well said and again the florida panthers are also there and i know you you uh south florida near and dear to your heart even though you live right now in the carolina Man mountains but you you've got You've got the mojo of the Panthers, who right now at the time that we're taping our conversation, they're down 0-2, but they're coming back home against the Vegas Golden Knights. You've got what the Heat are doing. You had you had Miami and Florida Atlantic in the college basketball Final Four in Houston. I got the privilege of being there uh, for that. It has been quite a run in and around the Miami sports scene over the last 60, 90 days here. Phil. Yeah. And even, you know, lesser known stories like Nova Southeastern, which is located in Broward County, won the division two NCAA championship. So it's like, you know, what was once just a football town, you know, suddenly, you know, just blooming with all this basketball success and not to mention that the Panthers, as you mentioned, you know, the, the Marlins have been, been making some noise this year as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting to see sort of things shift it has in many ways become a basketball town down there, you know, and, and success. It, it is championship central this week. Give me, I know you've probably been talking to some of the, uh, the media peeps that you're familiar with. I have been as well. This is going to be crazy because the NBA finals and the Stanley cup finals are there at the same time. And again, we clarify that the heat play in a downtown Miami arena. The Panthers don't play in the same arena. They play in an arena. What is it? Phil 20, 30 minutes, at least something yeah. like that, depending on the traffic in sunrise in a separate, different arena. But this doesn't happen that often. Golden State and San Jose were in the same region in 2016. Golden State won the title. 
Uh, the, uh, the San Jose Sharks did not win the title that year. Then you got to go back to 1994 and the Knicks and the New York Rangers playing in the same building in the garden. The Rangers won it. The Knicks did not against Houston. This does not happen that often to have them there. And at the same time, in, in the same time frame, if you're a South Florida sports fan, this is like Nirvana. Yeah. And you know, the games are laid out where you can get one one night and then get the the next one the following night and so forth. But you know, if there's a city in terms of handling all the media in sort of like the the uh party side of it all, Miami's up there as far as the, the best in the country. They've handled these huge events. There's you know, oftentimes in you know early spring, you know, I'm talking February and March, there's weekends where there's a lot going on 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 any given weekend. I think of that President's Day weekend in specific. I mean, I remember, you know, once there was an IndyCar race and, you know, the Coconut Grove Arts Festival and yet an, a, a, a Doral the next weekend and right, just right, on golf, and on, right. you know, the, the the tennis tournament, you know, and so, you know, it's a market that's used to handling these big events. You know, people rag on the Miami uh, sports fan quite a bit. And, but when the bandwagon comes around, they get on it in a big way <laughs> and they know how to make it, you know, they know how to celebrate. That's for sure. And I know we got lots of national voices. Kenny Albert and uh, and Eddie Olchek are calling the first ever Stanley Cup final on TNT right now. And then we know Mike Breen, uh, Mark Jackson, and uh, Stan, uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff Van, Van Gundy. Gundy. I get my Van Gundy's confused because uh, Stan Van Gundy coached the Heat. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy. They've been and Mike Breen now has set the record. Right. For the most consecutive NBA finals call, the most total and the most consecutive. Right. It's 18. Correct. You're keeping track of that, right? Yeah, that's right. So this is his 18th NBA finals. That's a record. And he's about to call his 100th NBA finals game, which is just an incredible milestone. That's ensured now that the Heat won game two. Game five will be Breen's 100th NBA finals game. You know that this trio Jackson, Van Gundy, and Breen, it's their 15th NBA Finals about together. That. And uh, yeah, you know, there's a whole generation of fans who this is all they know is Mike Breen calling the NBA Finals. It, it, it's pretty wild. But yeah, if we, stay, always... if, if we say Dick Stockton and Tommy Heinsohn, they look at us like we have three heads. They have That's no right. idea. And, and we can't even go back to like Brent Musburger and Rick Barry, which is what it was on tape delay on CBS in the late 70s, not even on live TV for the NBA Finals uh, when that would happen. So it, it is amazing. Um, yeah, no doubt. But uh, yeah, it's it's great to see, you know, once again, that crew, they they roll it out and there's such such pros about it, in my opinion. Lisa Salter is a great, great job on the, the sidelines as well. And I've been catching quite a bit of the radio call also over on ESPN radio. And, you know, Mark Kestisher is adding up some years on his end too. seventh finals as radio play by play announcer and his 20th overall, if you include his studio work. And, uh, you know, Kesty was on our show, you know, about mm-hmm. a year ago and so forth. And it was great to get to know him also if folks want to go back in the archives. But Kestisher, Doris Burke and PJ Carlissimo uh, have been pr- bringing the action on the radio side, too. So if you're not able to get in front of a TV, I can recommend that also. Love this. few more moments with Phil DeMont-Mollen. Announcer schedules is the podcast. Announcer skeds on Twitter. He and Mike Gill do a great job. I say this publicly. I always love listening to these guys. I was back in the groove. They were back last week. I was catching them. I caught the Jason Jackson interview uh, as well in that conversation. So they'll be back later in the week. I'm, not, I'm trying not to use Phil too much here because you need to listen to he and Mike for more of these takes. Hey, one more. I know you have affinity for Boog Shiambi. 
And uh, and John Shambi is on George's podcast. Tell me a story I don't know immediately before this one on the podcast feed. Uh, Boog now with the Chicago Cubs broadcast on the Marquee Sports Network, but he's also known for ESPN, but also getting the start in the Miami market as well. Phil. Yeah. You know, we had Bob was on our show as well last year and Boog Shambi, Bob was and Joe Tessitore are all roommates at Boston college. I mean, that's such a great <laughs> announcer, you know, a uh, trivia note right there, but then Boog really got his start and got going just like was did down in the Miami market at, at 560 WQAM, you know, um, you know, doing a lot of updates and that kind of thing. And then eventually doing some sports talk radio, uh, eventually headed over to 790 the ticket. But he was on those Marlins broadcasts uh, all those years on the radio side, you know, rotating some of the, the radio play by play with guys like uh, Dave O'Brien and and so forth. Joe Angel, part of that, those announcing teams back there as well, both TV and radio. And I actually remember working a game as a statistician for Boog had to be one of his very, very first, if not the first TV assignment for him as a TV play-by-play guy. Mm. We were doing a college baseball game at the old Homestead Baseball Complex, which was built for the Cleveland Indians once upon a time. <laughs> right, but it, right. it was, a, I mean, talking about a failed project. I mean, they 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 tried so many different angles and tenants to try to make that facility work in Homestead. Eventually, it got demolished a few years ago. But anyway, I got to work this game with Boog Shambi. And I remember, you know, the producers in the, in the truck, you know, coaching him up and that kind of thing, because this was sort of a new deal for him on the TV play-by-play play side having been mainly a radio guy to that juncture and of course you know the rest is history boog has absolutely taken off and you know one of the preeminent uh, baseball play-by-play guys going you know whether it's with the cubs espn radio he'll be doing the world series this year for espn radio and uh, cool to see him on george's show you know uh, telling some of those backstories as well and again, he's got he's ingrained with the Cubs right now. Got great Cubs stories as part of that, including he was on the Marlins broadcast for the Bartman game. There's another part of the tease. Go listen to Boog tell that story of being at Wrigley Field as the Marlins just ripped open game six and won it after the after the Bartman situation down the left field line. He tells that story on the podcast, so a plug there. Listen, I always love getting to chat with you. I look forward to more about the vacation. I I have my wishes here. I'm setting the table on my wishes with you and Mike later in the week on announcer schedules. I'm looking forward to more on the vacation. I'm looking forward to more on the Heat and the Panthers and and the finals all being in and around Miami. Uh, I'm looking forward to all of that on the announcer schedules podcast. I know you and Mike have a blast doing that and you've celebrated your one year anniversary of doing announcer schedules. So bravo and keep going and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for that, TJ. You know, um, Mike and I have some fun and we've got interesting perspectives too, because he's such a Philadelphia guy. And so, you know, we had Jason Jackson on this week and he mentioned, he's like, okay, now we're starting to get some, some of the Miami flavor into the mix. And, you know, certainly now's the time, you know, to, to do that with, you know, the heat in the Panthers making this run and so forth. Things don't look too great for the Panthers, though, to be honest, TJ, at at this juncture. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens for them in game three, because especially if they can win that one, then maybe the series is back on. And by the way, I'm sure Gil will bring this up. 1980 Philadelphia Flyers, Philadelphia 76ers, both in the spectrum, both in the Stanley Cup and NBA Finals. I don't know that they ran at the same time in 1980, but it was the same arena, the same 
uh, time period that that was going on. There's another example of it, but it hasn't mm. happened that often. But it's happening in uh, in Miami or in South Florida uh, for this weekend. Phil DeMont Mullen, thank you for hanging with me on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. I look forward to you and Mike Gill later in the week, my friend. Thanks, TJ. Love the insight. Uh, again, from Phil and Mike each and every week, they're here with more takes, more on Phil's vacation, more on the NBA and the Stanley Cup Finals, both being in South Florida later on in the week. Again, uh, let's rock along here. Another conversation upcoming with another guest. Let's get more diversified, not only about the Live Golf battle with the PGA Tour that uh, had a, a an amazing Tuesday of news that, again, the PGA Tour has buckled and the Live Golf guys, uh, Phil Mickelson, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, everybody that crossed over to Live Golf, they've got to be smiling at the end of this. They got all of their money. They're going to get to come back and play on the PGA Tour, and it, it took barely a year for that to happen. So much for that. Let's get some more insight into that now with another guest, some back and forth on that, some NASCAR, some more NBA Finals talk, and much more. Rolling along on this edition of the program, always good on the last word on sports media podcast to break bread figuratively with my man, Tyler Jones. He of the Jones report uh, does a great job with chat sports talking NFL all year long, whether Baltimore Ravens, whether Seattle Seahawks, whether New England Patriots. He's got you covered with those different teams through chat sports and their platforms, their YouTube channel, etc. Uh, I love Tyler's insight, though, on everything. He and I were together, obviously, in and around the Final Four, uh, won by UConn. I think Tyler still has his collection of blue and white confetti from NRG Stadium, which is all good. We love that about him. Uh, so much to get to. First of all, how you feeling here now as it's June? It is the summer of Jones. I saw you on vacation, by the way, uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. The Capitol is still standing. Summer of Jones underway. How you feeling? <laughs> I feel good. Summer of Jones is alive and well. Uh, off to uh, Nashville in a couple of weeks, and then uh, Chicago after that. Uh, but uh, certainly doing well, and a lot of good going on in my world. How about you, TJ? Oh, there's you know it's summer. The kids, uh, my now almost 15 year olds, are out of school. They want to learn how to drive. We got summertime down here in Florida, which means it's going to be hot as the uh, the ninth uh, ring of Dante's Inferno. But uh, we're all good. The Rays are playing uh, great baseball. Uh, Buccaneer season before we know it. Football will be here before we know it and all kinds of chaos. But um, uh, right away, I want to get your takes, uh, especially from the sports media standpoint. And again, Tyler, Tyler's tremendously well-versed in all sports, all insight. But let's hone it into sports media. And in particular, the broker deal being announced on Tuesday, fluid as it is. Details are few on exactly what this is. Is it a merger? Is it a laydown of arms truce between the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Series? We don't have all the answers as we're releasing this podcast, but I want your immediate reaction to what came out on Tuesday morning and has been the topic today in the sports world, and I think it's one of the biggest sports stories of the year. When this year is over with, it's going to go down as one of the biggest sports stories of this year. I'm going to make you laugh. It's going to have ramifications for generations to come, my friend. <laughs> What's going on with the Live Golf Tour and the PGA Tour on this Tuesday? What do you make of this just on the surface generally? I got to say I was shocked um, that it happened when it did. This came out of left field, and it didn't necessarily need to happen either. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a point of weakness from the PGA. Uh, they very well – uh, could have just continued to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Liv and 
tried to bleed live out of money, but ultimately they ought to to do this and to get these guys back. I thought it was a, a point of weakness uh, for the PGA to go about this and the hypocrisy. I mean, no crow has ever tasted better than what the dish the PGA Tour just got served, um, the way I look at it. Because we heard for a year plus from Monaghan and Rory and all these guys about the, you know, moral superiority complex they had over Liv and, you know, how they, how dare they do this to these 9-11 families, yada, yada, yada. And it, it's not, based on what we know, them buying out Liv. Everything we've been told is it's a merger and the Saudis are still there. In fact, maybe even more involved than they were before. And to me, the, the hypocrisy is just bizarre. Um, the fact that Monahan is going to be basically the CEO of the golf world uh, is, is a very stupid move. Um, sounds like Greg Norman is uh, not involved based on what we've been told here. And now, like with this new league, the implications for generations to come here, um, <laughs> It sounds like that we're combining not just the PGA Tour and Live Golf, but the European Tour as well and doing one big tour. What does that look like? Is it uh, over an 18 or 20-week stretch? Are we still going to play every weekend like we do the PGA Tour? I have a ton of questions that we won't have answered uh, yet of how this is all going to work. And then the TV partners. Sounds like not only did the players not know this was coming, but the TV partners didn't know either. All of a sudden now, CBS and NBC are partners with the Saudi government. Uh, it, it's it's crazy. Uh, I, I got to say, the winner in this, though, is, is live without a doubt. I think they handed the PGA Tour the L here because they served everything right to their faces. Um, and again, I said a lot before I brought you on here about this. You're echoing a lot of it in terms of hypocrisy, uh, so I don't have to go back over that. I'm interested in this because you and I talked about this. You went and attended the Live Golf event in Tulsa a few weeks ago, uh, just before they played the PGA Championship. So give some more insight here for the audience about the experience that you had at that event as a spectator, as a fan. Enlighten us a little more on that, if you would. It was a party atmosphere. Uh, Everybody was having a good time. Music was going on at every hole. You had the guys wearing shorts, fist bumping the crowd and everything. It was a lively atmosphere. And the Tulsa event was the highest attended live golf event in the United States uh, so far at that point. The Tulsa event was well received there at Cedar Ridge Country Club in my hometown there in Broken Arrow. And so that was exciting to, to see what Liv did and just the product and the potential that it could be, um, you know. And what I had heard was when I was down in Tulsa that it was so well received that Liv was planning to make Oklahoma a regular stop on the Liv Golf Tour, whether it be Tulsa or Oklahoma City, whatever it may be. They wanted to continue to come back. So now, now that they have this new league, I wonder – if they look at that data from the live events, if they're going to factor in those in this new schedule, if we're going to see places like Tulsa or the Trump courses or whatever they may be, get involved in all this here. To me, it's uh, it's another 
data point that uh, the this league has to their advantage to see how they want to maximize this uh, this new tour. And so, uh, again, as Tyler and I talk here, we don't have a lot of details. And what's interesting is they had that meeting with the players in Canada, in Toronto. It's the Canadian Open this week, which is a PGA Tour-sanctioned event. And those players came out of the meeting and said, a couple of them, short on details even to us on what this means. Um, again, I said a lot at the beginning. I don't want to keep rehashing a lot of the same things that I said, but it, it does feel as though – this got out or was about to get out before they were ready to explain it all and have all the answers. And it's almost like, uh, hey, we have some of the chapters of the book. You'll get the rest, including the conclusion, including how it culminates, how it ends uh, here a little later on. Uh, but for right now, just uh, take our word for it. Everything's going to be OK. So uh, that that appears to be uh, what it is, because, again, there were tour players putting it to Jay Monahan for specifics, and he didn't have a whole lot of them as Tuesday afternoon wore on uh, with this. Like, for example, I, I know what you meant a few moments ago. I, I don't believe that the Live Golf Tour is going away. Those that are putting that out there, it's not going to go away. I, I think that in the short term, this year, next year, et cetera, it's going to continue to exist. They have contracts with a lot of these guys. So whatever this new creation is, is to figure out how do we blend the live and who's allowed to play in it, and how do we blend the PGA Tour and who's allowed to play in it, and the DP World Tour, which was the European Tour, and who's allowed to play in it. And I don't know how much there's going to be a creation of new things. This just seems more like a truce on how do we make more money with everybody existing, and maybe there'll be... A, a couple of extra events that, that combine all the tours. I don't know, but uh, to me, yeah, I, I don't think I, the live golf tour goes away. Do you agree with that? I don't think it's going away I mean, for where, 2024. That's, that's where I disagree, with DJ. I, right. I think that we'll see live in the PGA play out for this season, maybe even next season. But eventually, I do think we're going to have one combined tour for the European Tour, the PGA Tour, and Live all come together and be one giant thing. It's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight. I would I would be surprised if it was by if it happened this year. But I do think that is the end goal of all of this is to get them all. All. Yeah, the but if I'm players, okay, and we're just going on this, together. we're we're going on this point, and it's not going to happen obviously for this year because the tour has their schedule, the Live Golf has their schedule, and they're going to be separate. And I believe it would be the case also for 2024. And again, I don't have the answers. Nobody has the answers here at the moment. Uh, but the, the combination thing doesn't work because then whose rules apply? Is it the PGA Tours rules at that point that swallows up live and now they're only 72 whole events? And, and now you're you're having to adhere to the tours uh implementation of you've got to play many more events. That's what rankled a lot of these guys that, hey, we're not only not making as much money as we should be, but they're now making us try to play 20, 22, 24 times in a year, and we don't want to play that much uh, here. We want to play a lot less. So that's why I just, as it's fluid and we're trying to understand it, I don't buy into that it swallows into one thing because I think a lot of those live guys are going to hold firm to, I like our shortened schedule. I like the way we're doing things. I We left because we don't want to be governed by Jay Monahan and by the PGA Tour. So that leads me to the next question to you. Um, one year from now, June 
uh, it, next year, 2024, is Jay Monahan still in charge? Is Jay Monahan still in charge at Christmas? Is Jay Monahan still in charge Labor Day weekend in September of the PGA Tour? What is the prediction, Tyler Jones? I can't imagine that he's around much longer. I mean, he has done a horrible job throughout all of this. And uh, just the public image, you know, he's lost the PR battle. I don't know how you can keep him around just based on on that alone uh, as far as that goes and why he should be trusted to run this whole thing. I think he's gone. I think Greg Norman's gone. Um, and eventually we see a, a reset button. Here's where I would go back to TJ as far as the combined tour. I think eventually, and like I said, not overnight, you come up with a compromise of, all right, we're going to play 18 to 24 events, whatever it is, and this is the tour, the best players are there every week, and they're committed to play every week on that tour. I think that's the end game here. But if you're live, I mean, I'm just going point counterpoint. That's what sure. you wanted to do. And if you've got world golf ranking points, which again, it's no secret. The PGA tour was leaning on them. Do not give the live tour world golf ranking points because it's basically game over. If they get world golf ranking points, they now have access to the major championships beyond just the guys that are exempt for winning. I know we're getting deep in the weeds on how you qualify and, and et cetera, et cetera. But if they are on their limited field events and they have official world golf ranking points, what incentive do they have to go back under the PGA Tour's mindset of let's try to have 30 events, 35 events in a year and survive as the PGA Tour? Um, they, they don't have any incentive to do that. If I'm the live guys, I stick I stick to that. I stay, I, I dig heels in and I stick to this is why we came here in the first place. And if we get the world golf ranking points that give us access to the masters, the PGA championship, the U S open and the British open, the open championship from the RNA, we don't need the PGA tour. That was the whole point. That was the whole premise of I, what the legal fight. I, I agree. I, I agree with what you're saying here, but I think that's the compromise of when we get to a combined league of sorts is we're going to shorten the schedule. Um, we're going to make this. Everyone's going to play every event. You're going to see every top golfer on the same course the same weekend, and everyone's happy. I think that would that ought to be the end goal anyway. If you are successful in this merger, that's what you should be trying to do is how can we get the best golfers to play every single week, a point schedule that matters. I mean, I, I think really if they're looking for somebody to, to point to, somebody to go off of, look at what NASCAR does. The top racers drive every single week. Now they and they do 36 weeks, which is way more than most of these golfers do. Um, and you are required to run every single race to win a championship. Um, I think if I'm the PGA Tour and if I'm live, I find a way to shorten the schedule, whatever it takes, guarantee that all the golfers are going to be there every single week. And if you want to win the FedEx Cup or the Live Trophy or whatever we want to call it, you got to be there every week. Interesting. Well, now the one difference fundamentally is the nascar drivers drive for teams which are paying them the golfers are completely independent contractors now the live model is they are teams and they have a team concept as the as the uh, independent it sounds contract. like the team concept is uh, is coming over with them too and that and and see that's an important uh distinction too because uh again what this is also undeniable as i said earlier in the opening comments here on the podcast 
it's undeniable that they made life so much better for the PGA Tour guys when they left financially. And they have shown two or three very interesting forward-thinking things that I think will be part of a golf model, and the team concept every week is part of that. And they even next level want to have owners of those teams, have ownership, have a Jerry Jones come in type, a Jerry Jones type, not him specifically, and own the four aces or the high flyers or whomever and own the team. So that was very forward-thinking on Liv's part. Uh, with that. Okay. So we, we covered that. We talked a lot about that and I appreciate your insight as we talk with Tyler Jones, he's at Tyler Jones live on social media, find Tyler as well with chat sports and their coverage of the NFL. The Jones report is his podcast, by the way, uh, before we talk NBA finals, you also are on the, uh, let's go racing with David star podcast. You and Dominic Aragon do a great job with David. David's got great insight as a driver on the NASCAR series and the Xfinity series. And from a sports media standpoint, there's an interesting development right now in terms of television rights because we're about to make the the annual transition from fox to nbc to cover the second half of the nascar season but there may be a new broadcast player coming in give me some thoughts on what on what's being kicked around and whether you like it or whether you think it's maybe a bad move what what's going on tyler so uh it sounds like uh the reporting that's been out there from sports business journal that uh, Fox and NBC are likely to stay around in the next contract, but a third partner uh, is likely to be involved. And it sounds like Amazon is that favorite. Uh, All signs point to that we're going to see the Xfinity series, which is NASCAR's second-tier series, go exclusively to Amazon Prime Video. Right now, it's mostly on FS1 and USA Network with the occasional race on Fox or NBC. And then a six-race Cup Series package in the summertime uh, going to Amazon Prime Video as well. So in theory, that would take three races away from Fox and three races away from NBC. And I know that Uh, I'm a little little older than you, uh, and you may or may not be aware of this. They used to do that, though, with a cable deal besides the -the over-the-air. They did it on TNT, on Turner, where they would get like five or six races in the summer in the middle of the Fox package, and then eventually the ESPN or NBC uh, taking it home at the end of the year for the, so they might go back to that model is my point is what, is what the speculation is. Right. Exactly. And back then as well, in that contract, uh, ESPN had exclusive rights to the Xfinity series. So they've done that before too, where one entity had the entire Xfinity series as well. And there's a lot of value in the Xfinity series. It's another property as well. Their numbers other than the Indy 500, typically beat IndyCar in ratings. Um, so that's worth noting. As much focus as there is on the Cup Series, Xfinity's not a bad TV deal either. Um, so uh, it, that is very interesting to follow, see how that develops. And then another thing, too, think about this. So Amazon with Thursday Night Football is the production behind it. I don't know how many people know this. That's an NBC production. They pay NBC to do the broadcast for them. And all of the talent that's there are on non-exclusive deals. Other than Al Michaels, pretty much everybody on Thursday Night Football works for another outlet of sorts. Well, most of the talent for Fox and NBC, their contracts are written up where they have non-compete clauses. So who are you going to have call the races? Who are you going to have cover it? If NBC... Does, does Amazon go back to NBC and say, hey, we want you to do the production? 
and then use NBC talent or does Amazon do their own thing in house and try to get, you know, stuff uh, from uh, try to get guys out of their non-competes or does NASCAR just step up and say, Hey, we have our own production company. We'll produce it for you. There's a whole lot of variables play out. here. And again, more uh, with Tyler and Dominic and David Starr about this in the coming weeks. Catch the Let's Go Racing with David Starr podcast wherever you get podcasts. Plug away for you, my brother. I'm always here taking care of Tyler Jones and all yeah. the entities as well as the Jones Report on this. Anything Appreciate else? On One that? more note, too. One more note on that, too. Uh, I was talking to uh, David about this, actually. And there is a bit of a concern from teams about, okay, if all of our races are going to be in the Xfinity Series on Prime Video, or six races in the Cup Series on Prime Video, how does that affect sponsors? Because all of a sudden, nobody's going to be flipping the channel of all of a sudden pop on the NASCAR race on Fox on a Sunday afternoon, or in the Xfinity Series case, a Saturday afternoon. Like, you're only going to get the diehard fans watching on Prime Video. You're not going to get the casual fan audience that way but the trade-off and you know this is that in the nfl case they gave them a billion dollars with a b and the nfl has basically said we are going to sit and count the money we understand there's going to be less audience and there was and a lot of the games were dud games last year on thursday night that didn't help but they knew we're going to lose 20 maybe even 30 percent of the audience of what you were seeing on thursday night football but the money is so ridiculously good, we're willing to bite that. So the question becomes, because look, let's be honest, the NASCAR TV money has gone drastically down over the last go-around, the last couple of go-arounds. Um, it, it is not well, the, the ratings same. haven't. The, 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 the ratings haven't, but the money, the money being paid out. So if Amazon comes in with solid money, you can live with less audience. you got to pick your lane there, right, if they come in right, with more money, the right? Right. The projections before Amazon showed it up was that they would get a slight bump in TV revenue, but not a significant bump from the current contract. So now, now that Amazon's into the fold, all of a sudden the narrative is switched and there's an expectation that NASCAR and the teams will get a significant bump in revenue of what they're about to receive. And also one more factor in all this, too. Um, the teams in NASCAR operate on what they call a charter system. Every team owner owns a charter, and that way when they want out of the sport, then they can sell that charter so somebody else can get in and they have worth the, the, the team that way. Well, the charter teams are wanting a bigger slice of the pie of the TV revenue, so NASCAR is trying to find every dollar they can since the teams are trying to, want more, trying to get more of NASCAR's cut of the money. Interesting. Good insight there from tyler and more again on let's go racing with david Starr and that podcast get it wherever you get podcasts i know you got to go in a moment or two i appreciate all the time well versed on everything live golf nascar and even can i sneak an nba take or two of course at the, course. At the time we're taping we're about to head to game three of denver and miami with this thing one one as i keep joking the nuggets were like preparing the parade in the late third quarter of game two and a funny thing happened on the way to the sweep and the parade miami actually raised up and won the game they're an eight seed they're now coming back home all right the audience numbers are in and it was solid i think some people are surprised 
that 11 plus million were watching on Sunday night, almost equal to the Sunday night game two audience a year ago for Golden State, hello, and the Boston Celtics. All right, so that's interesting from an audience standpoint. Um, how do you think this series will do competitively on the court and from a viewership? Will it grow a little bit, do you think, here over the next uh, few games? How many ever games it plays out? It looks like, I mean, it has to go five for sure. Looks like it's probably going to be a sixth. And if they get a seventh game, that's ideally what they want, a winner-take-all game, which will be higher rated. How do you think this plays out competitively? Nuggets and Heat and TV audience-wise, will it see a little growth? What say you? So here's an idea I got for you. I was thinking about this. So traditionally speaking, we've seen when it comes to the NCAA tournament, some of the highest watch games are when the Cinderella story gets involved. Mm -hmm. Think about St. Peter's. They had some games that were highly viewed a couple sure. of years ago. And, and people love that story. The Miami Heat, now they're not necessarily a Cinderella by any means. I know they're an eight seed, but they're still a name brand. And they've been in the conference finals as recently as last year. But the fact that they are an eight seed, I think that they have people's attention. The longer this series goes of them not supposed to be here, I think that attracts people of wanting to root the underdog on and see the underdog story. I feel if, you. If I feel they you. Can, if they can extend this series, then uh, the, the ratings will be massive and, and you know, we'll, we'll, the NBA will be very pleased with this number. But if Denver – plays the way that they can and, and just on the basketball th court I, I think there's no reason why talent wise Denver should be able to win this series in five games if not six um then you know Denver then, then the ratings won't be that great it all depends on just how competitive this series is going forward Miami took care of game two now let's see how the, the rest of the series goes if it goes to seven then uh in then uh, the NBA on ESPN is going to be a jumping up for joy because the ratings will fall. I did see something for game two that was interesting, which is highest markets were obviously Denver and Miami. West Palm Beach was the next highest, the third highest rated market. And then it was Milwaukee and Memphis. And once again, and I've said this forever, uh, that, that the Northeast, in particular New York, you talk about what great sports fans they are. They, they don't ever watch anything that doesn't have New York teams or Northeast teams. New York's not in the top 10. Uh, none, none of the Boston, Philadelphia, none of them were in the top 10, uh, I don't believe. And Los Angeles wasn't in the top 10 for game two the other night uh, because, again, it's not involving an L.A. team. So uh, let's see how that plays out from a rating standpoint. I'm not so sure that Miami doesn't turn this into a six- or seven-game series, that they're going to get one game at home. It's going to be at least 2-2 two -two going back to Denver. That ensures then it would be a game six for certain in Miami to come back. And that's that's really where ABC, Disney, they, they're thrilled if they can get this to a six-game, if not a winner-take-all, because there's more ad money and certainly a game seven, a winner take all is worth three or 4 million more people watching uh, if it is. And it's built up to that. That's what they're hoping for on that one. Anything else, my friend in closing, or are we good? Tyler Jones? Uh, I got to tell you, I, I think we're all good. Um, I, I will say one more NBA note. I was very happy that, uh, that Kevin Harlan has now gotten to hold on to the conference finals for a couple straight years. I know there was some rumblings when Marv Albert was moving away, when David Levy was head of Turner, that Brian Anderson was going to get that gig. And then Brian Anderson got the all-star game this year, and everybody started to raise eyebrows. Are they about to demote Kevin? But Kevin did a great job uh, there with Stan and Reggie and 
and, and ESPN, uh, Mike Brain, a record-breaking uh, number of NBA finals. He has been incredible calling the finals over the years with Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure to I, – I think it's a – between going from Marv Albert to what we've seen with, with Kevin Harlan and, and Mike Breen, it's been a golden era for uh, the voices of the NBA uh, the last uh, – several years uh as far as i'm concerned tj no doubt and let's see how it plays out if they get great games to call uh here for abc uh, in the uh in the coming days for denver and miami uh we will we will soon find that out all right tyler jones great stuff follow him again at tyler jones live the let's go racing with david star podcast we'll have more on everything they do a great job of fooling around talking nascar talking about everything but also the tv deal uh, very intriguing with amazon uh, Prime and Tyler's podcast, The Jones Report, out later in the week. Cross section of everything. A lot of football in the in the football season, but a cross section of everything, including pop culture and sports, on the Jones Report. I think I got all my plugs in, including watch him on Chat Sports' platforms for the NFL coverage of the Seahawks, the Ravens, and the Patriots. You got tons of that through Chat Sports, their YouTube, their platforms with Tyler Jones. My friend, always great to be with you. Thank you for hanging with me. Uh, here talking some sports media. I appreciate it. Thanks, DJ. So there we go. A bunch of discussion on a bunch of different subjects. Again, the NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals still ongoing, and the golf just got much, much juicier for the U.S. Open, and this is going to be an evolving story. As I said earlier in the podcast and the opening uh, monologue here, I don't think the final chapters are even written this week. Does Jay Monahan survive this? As I said to Tyler Jones, is he still the commissioner by Labor Day? He may not be the commissioner much beyond a few weeks from now or even shorter if the players are that upset uh, it, with with how this was done, how they weren't notified or consulted. Uh, again, he's going to probably invoke this was in the best interest of the tour and the tour rank and file, and I have that duty, that obligation as the commissioner to act that way. But, uh, man, oh, man, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Uh, reigns supreme on this, like I was talking about with Tyler here in the conclusion uh, with the U.S. Open upcoming and then the, the British Open. And then what happens with the Ryder Cup, which is always the U.S. against Europe and the best players playing in that. Let's watch how it all sorts out. And I'm I'm curious, too. One more point on this. I didn't talk about this with Tyler. What happens in the future? Because I believe the Live Golf Series will continue in the short term. And now that you have this agreement, you don't have the TV partners scared to death, by the way. The CBSs, the golf channels, the ESPNs, NBC, anybody that televises golf, they're not going to be scared off now from televising Live Golf. Live Golf is going to get all things being equal. And again, I don't have all the answers, but I, I, I've been right about a lot of this. I have been saying uh, for over a year on this that the Live Golf changed the dynamics uh, of the money and the income, even for the PGA Tour guys that they left behind. And then I believed a year ago that a merge tour was going to come back into play where they were going to be allowed to play both. And can't we all get along and figure it out? And it did not even take a year once the live golfers began playing for it to be resolved. Their first tournament was a year ago this week in June, and now it is resolved. What looked like, oh, it might go on for five years with the litigation, and then what's going to happen with the resolution? Years and years it's going to take. No, it took one year for the PGA Tour to K. So now what happens with the TV deal? They're not going to get one for this year. They're stuck with the lousy deal with CW because, again, 
Here we go back again to the the pressure being put on by the PGA Tour. Don't talk about them, much less get in partnership with them and televise them to the different networks. Nobody would touch it. But now you have CBS, NBC, anybody else that's televising golf, uh, ESPN, anybody else that's televising it, they got to deal with the PGA Tour that's now in agreement with the Saudi-backed money because it's in their financial interest. What a what a hypocrisy, what a betrayal. That's uh, all about the money and only about the money. And as long as it's in the PGA Tour's financial interest, then forget about the whole blood money thing. And sorry, 9-11 Families United, and sorry anybody else that thought we were going to stand for virtue or morality. So now what's going to happen with the TV coverage and, and the live golf coverage getting on a more normalized ESPN or Fox Sports 1 or something? It's it's coming. They have the biggest names. They have a, a ton of the biggest names, major champions, recent major champions all over the board. With Brooks Kepka having just won the PGA Championship, Bryson DeChambeau, a recent U.S. Open, Cam Smith, a Players' Championship in a British Open last year, Phil Mickelson, a PGA Championship a couple of years ago. How many more do you need out of this? Majors that they've won. I'm probably leaving out a couple of them in recent history. Dustin Johnson, did I leave that name out? Guys that have won major titles in the last five, six years, somebody like a Sergio Garcia that's on this tour. Those are humongous names. It's going to get televised when we bring it back to sports media. Watch. Watch what happens for 2024. If the live, I, I cannot see the Live Golf Tour going away with their model and what they're trying to do and playing 54 holes instead of 72 and, the, and the, the prize money and the contracts they gave a lot of these guys. They don't want to play 2025 events like I was talking about with Tyler. They want their tour. I think it's going to continue, and I think it gets a television deal. There's a prediction. All right, and we'll see what happens with the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals. Heck, the Stanley Cup Finals could be over with before we get back to you, especially if Vegas gets Game 3. They're more than likely going to clean Florida out. But Miami and Denver, we know, is 1-1. We know at the minimum they're going back to Denver for a Game 5. We do know that. So let's see how those play out. Uh, the PGA Tour stop again, where, where Rory McIlroy is talking Wednesday, and a bunch more will be said and discussed on this as the week goes on. The PGA Tour in Toronto at the Canadian Open. So no shortage of subject matter, that is for sure. Hopefully we covered a bunch of it for you as part of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Again, follow or subscribe on the feed. George Offman's great podcast series, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, with the Chicago Slant, has Boog Shambi on it. You'll hear that conversation, ESPN and Chicago Cubs announcer. And again, Mike and Phil later this week, announcer schedules podcast with who's calling it, who's calling it well. That's upcoming also right here on this podcast feed. Follow, subscribe, spread the word. You get great media takes in the sports media landscape. All right, with that, we are good. We are done. I am merely TJ Reeves. Thanks to Phil DeMont Mullen for coming early this week on with me and teasing ahead to what he and Mike are going to be talking about. Also, Tyler Jones as well. Uh, from uh, the Tyler Jones uh, podcast, uh, the Jones Report, Tyler Jones Live on Twitter. By the way, Chat Sports as well is where you find Tyler. I love all of the takes. For now, we are good on the last word on sports media podcasts.